Good morning. It's great to see some more faces here today. Folks showing courage, I so appreciate that. Um, and again, thank you for joining us at home. It may not be time for you yet to come out, and I totally respect um, your need to be at home at this time. But thank you all so much for being here today. Let me ask you something. Do you idealize the past? Every now and then, whenever I'm on Facebook, one of these little pop-ups will, will come through and say, you know you're a child of the 80s when? And it'll have things on there like you watch Saturday morning cartoons, you listen to Michael Jackson, you like the A-Team, whatever it might have been that was consistent with that time period. And I find myself reading that and feeling really kind of nostalgic. Yeah, I remember watching Saturday morning cartoons. I remember doing those things. I came across an article this past week that was very interesting that talked about this sort of phenomenon, this nostalgic feeling as far as the way it's done in the media now, and it came with a bit of a warning. And this came from a website called Quartz, and it said this, our culture and commerce have increasingly laid this trap for decades now. From VH1's I Love the 90s to BuzzFeed's viral quizzes about being an 80s kid, to the Star Wars reboot, to the Marvel Universe of unending comic book movies, mass media seems determined to shove us into the past. Facebook's celebration of friendship anniversaries, often complete with vinyl record animation, are particularly strange since they only encompass the time people have been Facebook friends, not real-world friends. Though those numbers are likely to converge as social media continues to invade our lives. And then it came with this very interesting warning. Same article. It said this, All these phenomena suck the oxygen out of the room for new culture, new connections, new ideas, and new experiences. As a matter of fact, the word nostalgia itself, if you break it down into how the word, the, the word itself was formed, it's actually using two Greek words, um, it's derived from these two Greek words, nostos, meaning homecoming, and the word algos, meaning pain. And the word nostalgia itself, it was a medical term that came about in the 1800s because it was like a, a condition. It was an unwanted medical condition. And um, the original definition was viewed as a crippling condition that rendered sufferers incapacitated by despair or intense homesickness. See, there's a danger, actually, in being caught up in the past, so much so that you miss the present. The passage we're going to look at today was written to people who were in danger of being so caught up in the past that they were about to miss the present, and the same danger exists for you and I. The same danger exists when we so idealize the way things used to be that we miss the present. Or when we start thinking about trying to live under the law. If we try to go back and live in a way to please God by keeping rules, we are missing this thing called the new covenant that is right in front of our faces. The passage I want to talk today comes from Hebrews and this morning will be from Hebrews chapter 8. We'll look at verses 6 through 13. We're actually going to read the last half of that chapter. I'll 
summarize the first half as we go through it. But I want to start out with Hebrews uh, chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For if he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You may be seated. See, the subject I want to talk about is how do we live out this new covenant in our lives today? How do we live out this new covenant? And again, we're going through this book which is constantly wanting to give the reader confidence. Confidence in a God who is there. Confidence in a God they can trust. A confidence in a God who now deals with them in a new sort of way. Because constantly, people called Judaizers were kind of coming in and sneaking into these communities that had been impacted by the gospel, trying to talk them into going back to their old way of living. So this morning, I want to talk about these covenants, particularly this new covenant and the old covenant that it replaced. I want to do it this way. First, I just want to talk about what is a covenant? What is a covenant? And then secondly, we have a new and better covenant with God. And then what do I do now? That's always the so what part of the message. What are we going to do with this now? So I want to stop, uh, start here with this, this question. Well, what is a covenant? Um, and let's just start out by discovering what a covenant is. And uh, I love this definition by Wayne Grudem. See, whenever I was a kid, I learned the definition of covenant that's just agreement between two or more persons. And uh, we have these today. A marriage, for example, is a covenant. Two people coming together, there are certain conditions that are to be met, there are certain vows that are made. When you buy a house, it's a covenant. Uh, you're making a, a, an arrangement, a deal with another party, and you're saying, I'll pay this amount of money for this house. The other people say, okay, I'll move out of it when the time comes. But when we start talking about covenants enacted by God, it, it's a little different. And again, I love this definition by Wayne Grudem that a covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. 
God makes these agreements with us and says, okay, this is how we are going to conduct a relationship. This is what it's going to look like. But see, this kind of a covenant with God, of course, is different than a covenant that just happens between uh, two individuals, two people. Notice that phrase, divinely imposed. Now, what does that mean? Well, it kind of reminds me of what meals were like in my household growing up. Yeah, I remember going to school and they said, well, you can, you can have a choice. You know, you can have the uh, french fries or the mashed potatoes. And I remember all of a sudden being presented with choices. But whenever I got home, I would ask mom, hey, I think I'll have this rather than what you fixed today. She said, okay, well, well, I'll give you a choice. You could take it or you could leave it. That's your choice. And that's the way it is with God's covenants. We can take them or we can leave them, but they are divinely imposed. So this is a covenant with God. God made several covenants with man as you go through the scriptures. Um, he made a covenant with Adam. We actually see it in Genesis chapter 2. He said, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That was the very first covenant that God made with man. It's pretty simple. See that tree? Don't eat the fruit that comes off of it. That was an agreement. It was broken. That was called the covenant of works. Because it was the works, it was the obedience of Adam that kept the covenant. And it was unlike any other covenant that came after it. But there were more covenants. God made a covenant with Noah. He said that he would never again destroy the earth with water. God made a covenant with Abraham. He promised Abraham land and seed and blessing. He was given a large tract of land. He would have uh, numerous offspring, and all the world would be blessed by those offspring. He made another covenant, and this is the covenant that's going to be of particular importance to us today. It was the covenant that God made with Moses at Mount Sinai. So when the Israelites left Egypt, they come to Mount Sinai, they camp there. And then Moses goes up onto the mountain, and God says this to him. He says, now therefore, this is Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Then he proceeds to give Moses a whole series of laws. It starts with the Ten Commandments, but then it goes on into, into many other areas. There's many laws that go beyond the Ten Commandments. And the purpose of that, and, and hear me on this, this is very important. The purpose of those commandments was to keep the people from sinning. That's the purpose that they served. If they would keep those commandments, it would keep them away from sin. That was the old covenant. That was the old agreement that man had with God, divinely imposed. And then we come to our text today, 
And then we see this language about this new covenant. And the bulk of the passage that I read this morning, it's actually the longest quote in the New Testament of the Old Testament. It comes from Jeremiah uh, chapter 31. That's the first mention of this new covenant that God's going to make with man. And uh, in chapter 8, it starts out reminding the reader of, again, the high priestly ministry of Christ. The author of Hebrews just keeps on hitting this subject. The superior ministry of Christ. He's now our, our higher priest in heaven. The, the job of the high priest was to provide the people access to God and perform actions on their behalf, sacrificing for the atonement of sin. But now we've got this perpetual high priest in heaven. It used to be only periodically the high priest could come into the presence of God. But Jesus is there perpetually now in the presence of the Father, acting on our behalf as our high priest, constantly and eternally representing us. So he's got this superior ministry, and, and we see it there in verse 6, and this is a little different translation from the one that I use. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Moses was the original mediator of the old covenant. Now God himself mediates the new covenant. The covenant he mediates is also better and is enacted on better promises. So we start seeing the superiority of this new agreement. The promises are better than the ones that Moses received. It's a better ministry. And we see from this covenant, there's actually four areas that the Israelites are going to be enabled in that they were not previously enabled. Uh, four ways that the Israelites are going to enjoy this covenant in ways that they didn't do previously. And by the way, that goes for us as well. So four ways this is a better covenant. First of all, the Israelites and us will be able to know and desire to do God's will. Uh, they would know and desire to do God's will. That comes from verse 10. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. So what does that mean? People will no longer be trying to please God out of a sense of fear and punishment. That's not going to be the motivation in this new covenant. But it's going to be out of love and adoration. See, remember that old covenant was there to minimize sin. That's not the way this new covenant is. This new covenant is about living out God's will and purpose and it gives us an internal desire to know and love God more. That's what God has put in us through this ministry that we now receive from the Holy Spirit. We have this internal motivation that didn't exist before. But it's there now. See, the law was like, it was like a set of guardrails, right? And um, imagine driving a car that you really can't steer... All I could do is press on the accelerator, and the guardrails would just sort of keep bouncing you back and forth to keep you on the road. Now compare that to this new covenant, where now it's like your car has this 
GPS-powered autopilot. And you can enjoy the road. And it keeps you on the road without having to just keep bouncing off the guardrails. There's something internally motivating that car to keep it where it's going down the road, driving with a purpose. That's this new covenant. We're being internally motivated. The guardrails are still there. And you know what? Sometimes I still hit the guardrails. But we have a different motivation. And then secondly, we enjoy a unique and privileged relationship with God. I should just have one unique. It's very unique. <laughs> relationship with God. And this comes from verse 10, the second part. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So we have this very intimate relationship to where we are personally known. Have you ever really, really known someone? Some marriages get to this point. I don't know that all of them do. But that word know in this passage carries particular weight. And I love what one commentator said. I don't think I have it up there. Let me read it to you. Um, it's from a, a guy by the name of Thompson. The verb know here probably carries its most profound connotation. The intimate personal knowledge which arises between two persons who are committed wholly to one another in a relationship that touches mind, emotion, and will. In such a relationship, the past is forgiven and it's forgotten. Do you see the special kind of relationship that we have with God? And that last part there where the past is forgiven and forgotten, it touches on the next, um, it touches on number four. Oh, there it is, right there. If I just go a little bit farther, we'd have found it. Um, that our sins have been forgotten. Our sins have been forgotten. Verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God completely forgets our sins. Um, this, is, this is so important. God doesn't remember your past. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. And then that final verse of chapter 8 assures us that that new covenant, it renders the first obsolete. Verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. As a matter of fact, not long after uh, the book of Hebrews was written, in 70 AD, the temple was going to be torn down. And some have speculated that had the book of Hebrews been written after the temple was torn down, that might read, and what is becoming, and what has become obsolete has grown old and has vanished away. So the temple was torn down not long after that. And, and see, you and I were no longer under the law. We're no longer under the law. This old covenant has, has grown old, and we get to grow, we, we get to enjoy grown-up privileges that those in the Old Testament did not get to enjoy. We've got much more freedom when it comes to what we can eat. None of us, I don't think, build a wall around the roof of our house like what was commanded in the Old Testament to do. Because we don't live that way anymore. We're in this new covenant, this new agreement with God. 
So then I want to suggest to you three ways about how to live out and practice this new covenant now. Three ways. Um, And first of all, uh, relate rightly to Judaism. Relate rightly to Judaism. Now, Now, what do I mean by that? Interestingly, and maybe even frighteningly, some have so misinterpreted Hebrews chapter 8 uh, that it, is, it led to anti-Semitism. As a matter of fact, if you were to go back and read some of the quotes from the, uh, the, the Protestant reformers, Martin Luther, for example, you would see that he made some really anti-Semitic comments. As a matter of fact, even some historians say going into the Holocaust of Germany, that ground was laid by this anti-Semitism that began 500 years earlier, or really even before that, largely because of this contempt with which people now held the Old Testament based on Hebrews chapter 8. Now, obviously, there is no room for any kind of hate or prejudice within Christianity. That does not reflect what this passage clearly states, that God has written the law in our hearts and our minds. There's no room for any of that. So that's one extreme. But the other extreme is this this idea of now embracing and incorporating elements of that old covenant in worship today. This does happen from time to time with a group called the Hebrew Roots Movement. You may or may not have heard of this thing called the Hebrew Roots Movement. Uh, They do have a group here in Sheridan, I believe. But they're all about bringing in a lot of Jewish ceremony. They actually take the rabbinical teachings, the extra teachings that are outside the Bible, and raise them up to the same level of the Scriptures. Now, I hope you can see that both of those are unhealthy extremes. Jewish people need Jesus just like everybody needs Jesus. So we want to relate rightly to Judaism. You know, we can learn a lot about God in the Old Testament. However, we are given a new covenant. And this scripture makes it plain that the old one is obsolete. So we want to relate rightly to Judaism. And then secondly, we want to practice new covenant Christianity. Practice new covenant Christianity. I want to suggest two ways uh, to do that. And the first one, I brought this up already, is don't be haunted by your past. Don't be haunted by your past. You know, if God were to show up today and we were to look him in the face, and he said we could ask him any question that we wanted to, if we would look him in the face and say, God, what was the worst sin that I've ever committed? Do you know what he would say in response to that? He'd say, I don't remember, I've forgotten. You know what, that worst sin that you've committed may be seared in your mind. Satan may be digging in and and constantly using that against you, but you know what? God doesn't remember. He's forgotten it. So don't hold it against yourself. I mean, I I, I say this often, it feels like, but I know that it, it, our past can so bleed into the future. And we can still feel guilty for things that we've done 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years ago. Don't be haunted by your past. And then secondly, don't be legalistic. Don't be legalistic. Now, what do I mean by being legalistic? There's a great uh, 
It's a great definition of it that Haddon Robinson has. <clears throat> he says, legalism is when the application of a principle is given all the force of the principle itself. And there's an example of it that Haddon Robinson gives as well. So we've got this principle in the Bible, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. But this is how it played out in his life. When his dad was near the end of his life, he came and lived with he and his wife. But soon after that, his dad became so sort of incoherent, he realized that it wasn't safe for him to keep them there in their home. They ended up putting him in a nursing home. When his wife's mother came and lived with them at the end of their house, their kids were grown, and uh, they were able to keep her there right up until the end of her life. But see, the mistake you can make is taking the principle, honor your father and your mother, and having to apply that in a very specific way that means you're sinning if you don't do it exactly that way. That's when we become legalistic about things. We take the application of the principle itself and apply it with the same force as the principle. So don't do that. Don't do that. It's interesting to see how divisive our current situation is in some groups. Some people choose to wear masks. Some people may choose not to. Are you willing to give people room to apply the principle to their own lives? So don't be legalistic. Apply these things as we practice this new covenant. And then finally, explain the gospel clearly. Explain the gospel clearly. Now that takes courage. Everything that Jody said there in the beginning, it takes courage to share the gospel with people. But there was something that came up in this passage that kind of necessitated us to have a discussion about this. Because what we see in Hebrews chapter 8 is that God calls us now in this new covenant into this incredible relationship with Him, where He knows us personally. Not only does He know us, but He motivates us internally to move towards Him as Christians. He moves us that way into this committed and meaningful agreement. You know, that's what people are desperately looking for out there. They're looking for answers. They're looking for relationship. And this meaningful agreement that God calls us to where he forgives us of, of all our wickedness and doesn't remember any of it. He moves us in a loving way towards himself. That is the gospel in a nutshell. We respond by faith to the work that Jesus has done. But to what end is to the end in which he moves us to this relationship with him? So I would put all this together this way. Live out the new covenant by letting go of your past and avoiding legalism. Live out that new covenant by avoiding by letting go of your past and avoiding legalism. <clears throat> and I just wanted to close with this um, brief picture uh, image of me whenever I was 13. I don't have a picture. You're welcome. Uh, but whenever I was 13, me and my buddy Daniel, we started lifting weights down in the basement at Daniel's house. And uh, Daniel came from a group of big sort of barrel-chested men. 
And we'd go down there in his basement. It was this unfinished basement. It had bare uh, stud walls or just painted white, concrete floor. The ceiling was about six and a half feet tall. And we'd go down there and we'd start pumping iron. Now, Daniel could lift a whole lot more weight than I could. Daniel was probably in the 200-pound bench press club by the time he was about 14 years old. I think I had barely made the 50-pound bench press club by the time I was 13, 14 years old. But one day I said, Daniel, load up that bar with whatever you're doing because I want to see if I can lift it. And he kind of looked at me like, is it, just do it, just do it. So I remember I laid down there on that bench. He loaded up that bar. He helped me get it off the rack. He let go, and it just went like this. And I'm just kind of trapped there, stuck, really couldn't do anything until Daniel decided he was done laughing and he helped get it off and put it back up. But see, there was no way that I was going to be able to lift that weight. It was too much. And that's what the law was. It was a weight that there was no way we were going to be able to lift. So what happened? Jesus did all of the heavy lifting for us. He came in. He fulfilled the law. He lifted the weight. And he did for us that we could never have done for, for ourselves. And now we can enjoy this relationship, this new covenant with God. And know him in a way that they could never have known him in days before. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray that we would understand in a deeper way what you've given us here in Hebrews chapter 8. God, that we are no longer bound to the law. You have graciously fulfilled it and lifted it. And now we can enjoy a relationship with you unlike anyone was ever to do before. And we can do it with this assurance, God, that someday we're going to be with you for all eternity. That's going to transcend our current circumstances. Lord, I pray that we would not get so caught up in the present that we miss our true hope of being with you forever. God, I also pray that we wouldn't hang our hearts on some return to normal that may or may not happen. Our hope and our hearts should always be there with you, regardless of what our earthly circumstances may be. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, I do want to give you a quick update on our search for an associate pastor. We do have another candidate uh, that we're planning on bringing in here, Lord willing, uh, sooner than later. God has been gracious in the finances of our church that we believe that we can still afford to hire someone else, so we're planning on doing that, and uh, hopefully here in just a few weeks, we'll be able to introduce you to him. Thank you all. Have a great Sunday.